Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? And I was going to say, welcome to, you have one kid or more. Oh, we have three kids now. (laughs) 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 
they yes. are really very regular about how long they're pregnant, huh? Yeah, yeah. They kept us waiting a couple extra days each, but for the most part, right as planned. And yep. um, oh, such cute kids. So fun. Oh. So amazing. Bliss. <laughs> I don't think there's much cuter than a baby goat. Right? Oh, my goodness. And they're being such great mamas. Oh, my gosh. Just nature is amazing. And to watch all of that in action, just such a blessing. And, yeah, really, really blessed and just love it. Love it. Oh, so the first one was a little girl, did you say? Yes, little girl was born on April 13th, about 9 in the morning, just as a little thunder shower was starting. Perfect. um, Just just what they like. Now, I'm told, I don't know if it's true, that they do that because predators are hunkering down. Oh, wow. Predators are not out prowling. Mm. Right? The predators are home in their jammies. Yes, makes absolute sense. It was the perfect time to be home, hunkered down. So, right. Yeah, so then they're gonna like say, "Okay, good. The predators are not out. We're gonna just, you know, like shh, lay down here and be able to like be vulnerable because you have to be so vulnerable while you're while you're giving birth." Does she have a mm. name yet? Uh, not yet. Something is kind of like tugging at me. I think she has a name, but um, I'm not sure yet. Not sure. And then, Not what, a day later, two days later, your other kid gave birth? So that was today, actually, this morning. Today. So basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this morning, I got a little nervous because I wasn't sure what I was seeing at first. I was on the phone with Sandy. You're amazing, Sandy. Um, she's a 4-H mom, and she, oh, my gosh, she just was there as my phone a friend both times to make sure everything I was seeing was okay. But I couldn't tell this morning if I was seeing, this sounds crazy probably, but um, I couldn't tell if I was seeing a nose and like a a mouth or if I was seeing a hook, but I wasn't seeing two hooks. Um, So I got nervous and at first I thought I was seeing a nose first. And then um, I realized it was a single hook. Then the other hoof did start to follow. Um, so then uh, there was just a little moment of scare because I wasn't sure if it was one baby or two babies that I was seeing because it was a little sideways but not totally breached. So Sandy walked me through just when the mom had a contraction to give an extra little tug on the legs and um, I had to, like, feel to make sure that it wasn't two as best I could. That was hard. And, that is uh, hard. Yeah. It was, but everything was um, okay, and the baby came out a little bit sideways, and then the second one came out within minutes, like, amazing watching that mom. Yep, yep, she was cleaning the first baby, and then the second one was just like, yeah, plop. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yep, and so the first one. Like, they look around like, oh, again, another one, all right. Yeah, amazing. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. Just to watch her just at ease cleaning the first and allowing the second to make its entry. And the second was a girl. So we have two uh-huh. girls and a boy. Two girls yep. and a boy. All right. Yeah. So you can double double your herd and have dinner. Oh, 
that's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and the milking has been interesting. The first um, goat is really tiny and undersized. Um, not sure why, not on purpose, but her teeth were so tiny. So I didn't think I was going to need a milking lesson, but I called Sandy, same mom, same 4-H woman. And she told me, oh, we call it two-finger milking when the teeth are that small. That's right. So, that's it. What I sometimes do is take my, if I, I usually sit and my back is to the goat's head and I'm facing her udder. Me too. Okay. So mm-hmm. I would take my right hand and put it up under the left side of her udder, leaving the teeth hanging down between my fingers, right? Mm-hmm. So that I can use that hand to hold her udder up, and if I need to, to make that sphincter at the top and then use my other hand to pull the milk. Oh, wow. I never... You know, you can't... like. You can't pull the udder on a cow. There's actually muscles that hold the udder on, but there aren't on a goat. Mm. And if you've ever, ever seen pictures of goats with like their udders dragging on the ground, that's because somebody's pulled on them while they were milking. Oh. So it's wow. really important. As a matter of fact, if you watch somebody milking a goat, they will usually push up. You see the kids do that? Mhm, mhm. The kids push up, right, and then suck. And it makes and that a difference. I brings the letdown reflex and makes sure that they're not like pulling down on the udder. Okay. So using wow slows it down. They have to use both hands to milk one side, but it to me it just feels safer and better. I don't mind. It's so nice. We're we're building a relationship. They're being so sweet and patient on the milk stand. So I just oh, I wonderful. I love them. They're they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. for any of you who are wondering, these are dairy goats. These are goats who have been bred for generation after generation to give a lot more milk than their babies can drink. If we didn't mm-hmm. milk them, they would actually get sick and die. This is like a healthy thing to do. The kids are with them. The kids are getting all they need and want, and we need to milk them in addition. And now you have some colostrum, and we mm-hmm. make rice pudding with our colostrum. Mm, thank you for that reminder. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's not ah, milk until it starts foaming in your bucket. Mm-hmm. So people say, oh, the colostrum lasts for this many days or that many days. And I say, you you squeeze the milk in your bucket and you see foam, it's not colostrum anymore. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Still not too foamy from the first goat. So that's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't, I know what you mean because the goats that I used to milk that I learned on, it would get very foamy. Like there would be like a foam, right. But the colostrum yeah. has too much fat in it, so it won't foam up like that. Yes, the first, oh, my gosh, yeah, the first milk, the um, bowl of milk right. was so, oh, my gosh, and yeah. And that's, you, you know, that's it. like, 
That's like a rasayana. That's like a magic healing substance that colostrum. Wow, I've, I've read as, about as that. As a bookkeeper, you now have access to two of the most amazing healing substances on the planet, colostrum and whey. Mm, those would be and they days. have to be consumed fresh, and they have to be consumed just like you're getting it. And mm. no, they can't, no powdered whey, uh-uh, not, not what we're talking about. Mm. Wow, no. Mm-hmm. Oh. So excited. I got my Dan and yogurt to do my first All yogurt right. in this time. Good for the end of May. So I'm, I'm ready with my Dan and. She's ready. As soon as that milk starts to foam, she's ready. That's Great. Right. Uh, you, you might. I will see how milky your kids are, but you might wind up having to eat the yogurt itself because the kids um, grow fast. And in the first bit of time, the kids can take a lot of the milk. Okay. That, Especially from the goat that I'm you say is pretty small. Right, right. Because, yeah, I, the amount of milk you I keep, get from her is You keep putting her on the milk stand and you keep touching her and you keep acting like you're milking her, even if there's nothing left in her udder. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Right. Because it's it's what is being done, and she also loses status if you don't do that. So interesting. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that wisdom. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Uh, well, welcome to the world, your three baby goats. How fantastic. Our daffodils looked very, very pretty with their little snowy caps yesterday. Hmm. Did it snow down by you? It did. We had about two inches of snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. gone today. It, is, it wasn't gone, right. serious, that sticking around, but... No. no. <laughs> and I wish oh. that I could send you a picture of my tomato plant. I've been talking about this tomato oh, plant right. all winter, right? I brought right. a plant into the house in a pot, and in that pot was a tomato seed that sprouted. It was this little tomato sprout, like maybe three leaves on it. I said, grow, enjoy. There are now two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen ripe tomatoes. Oh, Red, yum. ripe tomatoes on this plant. Oh, yum. <laughs> <laughs> and too many green ones count and so many flowers. Wow. Wow, huh? What, have you, what have you been nourishing this plant with all winter? Well, you know, my leftover nourishing herbal infusion, right? Right. I had a feeling. I, oh, I'm not surprised. It, it's, oh, wow, wow. It must be so happy to give you so much fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a fun thing! <laughs> nice, Susan. Right. Oh my gosh! And uh, what else? I am continuing to encourage people to send us comfrey shorts. They can be as short as oh, two seconds. Really, it can be very very short. 
and you don't have to be a teacher, and you don't have to have anything wise to say. You could, um, you know, get your phone and, like, do a few video with you and your cat, you and your dog, and say, oh, that tastes comfrey, here's how I deal with it. Or when my cat got an abscess here, I used comfrey, and Felix is very happy. It really doesn't have to be... Um, Anything other than you're adding your signature to the wall. Is that an image that makes any sense to you? It went zing for me as soon as you said it. Yep. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Right? It's your chance to be part of this amazing event. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who use comfrey. I was scrubbing the bathtub and reached way over to my right and then twisted and leaned against the very high edge of the tub and, like, felt this very sharp pain. (laughs) And so... 48 hours later, I decided I better go see the osteopath because something was definitely not okay. And um, I had separated the cartilage from the rib. Not broken rib, thank goodness. And I told him about the Comfrey Conference, and he said, well, why would you want to have a conference about Comfrey? And I said, well, because people are frightened of it. And he looked at me and he said, well, first of all, comfrey isn't even herbal medicine. It's Boy Scout medicine. He said, I was introduced to comfrey when I was in the Boy Scouts. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. <laughs> you see, that's a comfrey short. I, I was introduced to comfrey when I was in the Boy Scouts. That's it. You can submit that. Because wasn't that a zinger? Yeah, for sure. Oh, my goodness. And um, that, so I said to him, you know, how wonderful that was that he was introduced to it when he was in the Boy Scouts. And um, that we had people who were going to talk about using I mean, comfrey on wounds and using comfrey in all, you know, different ways. And that that there were young herbalists who were too frightened to use comfrey at all. And he kind of leaned over toward me and he said we've been using comfrey for 3,000 years he says I'm going to rest on that Mm. wow you find some interesting doctors I love that you have a doctor that is aware of comfrey and has a relationship like this I love it wow yes He's an anthroposophic osteopath. Oh. Mm. <laughs> an interesting okay. hum- combination. He's very much into the Enneagram. And, right. He's very knowledgeable about plants. Wow. Yeah. Oh, marvelous. I, I actually wound up the 
first time that I went to see him. He said, so you have all these other people taking care of you. Why are you here? I said, because everybody else is taking care of a piece of me. Oh. Right? This one's taking care of my pelvic floor. That one is taking care of my wound. This one's taking care of right, this part of, you know, my, my right arm. This one's taking care of the... I said... I think that it would be wise if I had someone who would actually look at me as a whole person and see what's up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, Oh, he felt appreciated when he heard that. That is beautiful. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, make it come pretty short. Make it come pretty short. The easing is out or coming out very soon, and hopefully there'll be a link in the easing so that you can submit your come pretty short. It can be really short. It's really fine. It doesn't have to have a point. See, just these little things that I said, those were so fun, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm encouraging people to do doesn't have to be a big to-do. You don't have to have props. And you know what? If you're, like, camera shy, you don't even have to, like, make a selfie. You could, like, focus on a comfrey plant or a photograph of comfrey while you're, like, saying, comfrey's been used for 3,000 years. I'm going to trust that. But you don't even have to show your face. That's what I've been reading, right? Mm-hmm. Allie says we have over two hours of me reading now. Wow. From books on comfrey, and I, but I've hardly even begun. Mm. So much and so many different voices about comfrey. So write your name on the wall, add to the fun, be part of the only event that's ever focused on comfrey. And that will basically be there forever, for as long as the way that we um, store things last, this will be stored and you will have access to it if you're registered. How fun. Mm. And thank you so much for all your help, Sarah Ellen. Oh, it has been such a pleasure to help co-create and work with everyone and get to support Comfrey in this way and let her shine. And thank you for the beautiful T-shirt. Oh, my goodness. I am, oh, wow, I love this T-shirt. So thank you for that. Me too, me too. Mm. Mm. beautiful Comfrey goddess. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a Woodstock tie-dye. It's this gorgeous teal green. So, as Durga says, you can hardly see the you can hardly see the comfrey at all, which I actually really like. It's like the goddess like shines out from the middle of this like radiating tie dye, and then when you look closer, you see the comfrey flowers, and then the comfrey leaves, and then when you like really look at it, you see the roots. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, we have certainly been chattering. Let's talk about 
Our guest tonight, Heather Green, a freelance writer, journalist, and editor. And she studied film and theater at a bunch of places, including Cornell and the University of Paris. And she is going to be talking to us about which archetypes, especially in Hollywood. Hmm. Come back at 9 o'clock or stay with us until then, and you can hear from Heather Green. Do we have anybody with questions tonight? We do. We have two callers that have raised their hands by pressing 1. I'll let everyone listening know if you have a question this evening. You will need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. And we will go to our first caller dialed in from the 907 area code. From the 907, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. I've called you so many times about dentists. And I'm okay, what's up my- now? <laughs> You're going to love this one. <laughs> so... I break my tooth last week, the tooth that I had, the root canal, which was, I told you it was a good experience, but it was a serious um, error that happened during the root canal that I didn't know the exact detail, which was he drilled through my tooth. Okay. So I break my tooth last week and I call the dentist and I'm, I said I broke my tooth. In order to do a root canal, you have to drill through the tooth. No, I mean through the tooth into the gum. There's a there's a technical name, a technical name. Okay. It was, so it didn't go down straight. It went to the side. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. So I so I called a dentist and I said I broke. I think I broke the tooth or it's the composite or whatever they. I didn't I didn't get the crown because they had to wait. So she puts me on hold for five minutes and she gets back on. She goes, Oh, the doctor's walking out the door and I said to her, You can't ask him about this <laughs> before he leaves. No, no, he's he's got another appointment. Okay. So like what am I supposed to do? Can I come in tomorrow? Oh, no, he's all booked for tomorrow. Well, you know, I I flew up, and I said, let me call you back when I'm calmed down. So I called back, and I said, could you recommend someone? And they recommended someone, but I didn't go with it. Okay, I looked someone up in the area that did emergencies. And I'm not, like, trying to stereotype, but this guy that I looked up was from San Francisco. So I call him up, and it's the answering service, and they give his other number, and I call him, and he was like a doll. He was, you know, very sympathetic, got me in the next day. Um, it, it worked out well. Today I got my, uh, what do you call it, the, the uh, semi, not permanent crown, just the, uh, what's it called, temporary um, all the hassle that I had with the other dentist, um, I decided 
from from the experience I had today and what I'm going to tell you, uh, to leave the other dentist. Turns out the girl that's worked that, that's the uh, his assistant. Now we're talking because we had time. He had to do, you know, she was doing most of the put making the mold and all that stuff. And we're talking, and um, I told her the situation, but I didn't mention who the dentist was. And um, the dentist comes in. She's working. And I noticed this girl sounds really familiar. <laughs> the way she was talking about her kids. It turns out that she was the assistant <laughs> of the dentist that did the root canal. <laughs> I mean, what is the chance? So after the dentist left, and I, I said to I, I was like, you're that you worked on me. I, I, I and she says, well, let me think. And then we started, you know, she, and she said, yeah, yeah, she worked on me. And then she told me what happened to her. And she, this was like between, you know, confidential, whatever. And she had to leave the guy. So because, I left because he kept making mistakes. Because. It was, uh, I called it an assembly line because the dentist that used to work there left. He retired. And this guy came in and bought the practice. So it just went down the tubes. And she didn't like his practices, and she got out. So uh, I had the work done today. It was fantastic. Um, Hooray. Yeah, and I'm going to just add a little thing about Comfrey. I told you, I think the last time I told you, I had a my tendon, uh, what is it called, the IT tendon. Well, I've been using Comfrey ice cubes and salve, and I, I'm like almost there. If I was there, I would have done an Irish jig in front of this Irish clothing store. I was so frigging happy today. Yay. And I, and I had to share this, you know, because you always say, don't let the doctors, con- don't, well, how do you phrase it? Don't let the doctors uh, control you or to do or, you know, it's you. You no, know, fight, you're frightening you is what I knows. usually say because they can be very frightening and threatening. Especially a dentist. I, I never Any had a fear of dentist. Yeah, and and this was just a fantastic. This dentist sat down with me, explained what was done in my mouth by this other dentist. The other dentist, and I didn't ever. He never even introduced. I never saw what his face looked like. He never took off the mask. I wouldn't know him. This guy was this new dentist, absolutely just sitting down, making me comfortable. I mean, it was just fantastic. I just wanted to share that. It's our bodies. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad, and I'm so glad it's worked out so well for you and that you persisted until you got someone and a place that you feel confident about. It's your right to have the kind of care that you want. 
Exactly. And the nice thing about this girl, I, I asked, you know, I'm, I have to wait a few weeks before I get the uh, permanent crown. And I said, when is Mercury retrograde? And she laughed and she goes, um, let me check. It's like in June <laughs> sometimes. And I told her, every time I went to that dentist, it was Mercury retrograde. And every time they screwed up. <laughs> so we just worked it out. We worked this whole thing out accordingly, and it, it's just perfect. All right. So, Good. I, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you so much. Thank you, because, uh, yes, you've been an inspiration about, you know, just don't let people walk over you. It's our bodies, our choice. It's your body. That's right. You're the one who, who goes home with it. So make sure, right. you're getting, make sure you're getting what you want. That's right. So and thank as I you. often say to people, and guess what? You're actually paying for it. Exactly. Oh, I have one other question. How can one get one of those uh, Comfrey T-shirts? They sound awesome. Well, you know, that's a very good question. Here's, here's the absolute truth about it. I asked the artist, Durga, if I could make a comfrey T-shirt, and she was like, what? I don't make art that's like, you know, tourist stuff. I said, no, 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 no. I just want to make a T-shirt to give as a gift to all the presenters and the helpers. And she said, you're not going to sell them? This is not going to be like a thing where you're like making T-shirts? I said, I don't want to be a T-shirt saleswoman. No, I just want to make a gift. So she said, all right. I said, good. And I went to Happy Life with the company that makes beautiful tie-dye shirts. And I said, could you make a custom shirt with this, you know? And I sent them the image, and they said, yes, we can. And our minimum is 75, and I went, gurk. And so they actually reduced their minimum to 45 for me, which is really, really nice. And I do, it's true, I do have some left because even 45 was too many mm-hmm. considering the presenters. Um, so Durga and I have been talking about my offering them at the Comfrey Marketplace as a one-time only thing. Ooh. And that the profits after I am pay back my expenses, go to her. Mm-hmm. Good. So so when we have settled that, and I think we actually have to like make a contract about it, and we're clear about that, then that's where they will be is at the company marketplace. Great. They're not there now. Mm-hmm. But you might want to go because there's some interesting things there. I've mentioned um, two books by Nancy Shirley. One is called Botany and History of Comfrey, Garden Uses, and the other one is Cultivation of Comfrey, Medicine and Food for People and Livestock. Oh, that sounds good. And and what's the those website? Are, those, are, those are at the Comfrey Marketplace, and they're Comfrey each about 400 pages. Yeah. And again, this... Um, this week's e-zine will have a link to the Comfrey Marketplace. Cool. All it's, right. 
it's small right now. It's just starting, but we decided that we're going to open the doors and let people come. And if you say, hey, I'm going to put my Comfrey product there, then just get in touch with us and we'll tell you how to do that. And the same thing, the Comfrey Kitchen doesn't have a lot of stuff yet. But I said, just open it up and let people wander around. And if they say, well, hey, we need a recipe about this and we need a recipe about that, then I say, good, thank you, do it. Give us that, right? I'd love to see at the Comfrey Kitchen, I'd love to see like 50 different ways to make Comfrey ointment. Or, you know, your favorite way to make a poultice and 20 people tell us different ways to make poultices. I love how inventive and personal people get with the herbs. It's very exciting to me. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds great. I'm I'm going to check that out. Thank you. Good. Right. <laughs> and green comfrey blessings. Green comfrey blessings to you, too. Thanks for your call. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. All right, and uh, we have one call that has pressed one to raise their hands with a question, and you're dialed in from the 510 area code. From the 510, you are live with Susan. Namaste, Louise. Namaste, Susan. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. Hi. Okay. How are you? I'm so enjoying the beauty of spring. How are you? Oh, I'm enjoying everything about spring, including the full moon. Thank you so much. I have somebody, a question. Somebody called it a pink full moon. I thought that was interesting. Ooh. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder why, too. Yeah. I don't know. I was, I was heard it passing. I'm like, oh, interesting. So your question is? Wow. Sorry. Just uh, the last thing about the moon. I was lying on the sofa with my niece, who's 10 years old. And as we went to fall asleep, we looked out the window and she said, Auntie, look at the moon. And I said, yeah, isn't she beautiful? And we did a moon prayer together. And it was such a special. Oh, how wonderful. Yes. It, it made me think about your relationship with with the young children in your life and how close you are to your granddaughters. Yes. Yes, what a lucky grandmother I am to be physically <laughs> close and to be so accepted into her life and to be allowed to be that close to her. Oh, beautiful. Well, Guru Weed, I'm calling on behalf of a friend. Um. She, I'll just explain really quickly what's happening. She is the mother of one child, and she has opted, I don't know why, um, she's opted for IVF in order to have another baby. And she's going through the process, and something is happening to her. Basically, her belly is really swollen. Uh, the allopathic um, doctors have told her that she's full of fluid from the quote-unquote hormones. And... Um, I'm really worried about her. I just thought I'd call you to see if you had any advice. First off, let me say that I don't do secondhand consultations. Right. Okay. And I don't do that because, um, well, a number of reasons, but it's not... um, 
really clear to me mm. what's happening if I'm not mm-hmm. talking to the person. I understand. And I get a lot of information that would be, it would be difficult to say exactly how I'm getting that information because it's in addition to what's being said. Mm. Yeah. That that. That helps me know, um, I'm going to use a metaphor. It helps me know what power of 10 to work with. Mm. So if we were to look at our hand at one power of 10, we would see the hand. At another power of 10, we could see the lines in the palm of the hand. Mm. At another power of 10, we could see the capillaries underlying the skin. At another power of 10, we could see the atoms. Right, we can be at all of these different places Mm. in terms of what we actually need. Mm. Right. And so my contact with the person, even though it's just on the telephone, does allow me to at least have a general idea of uh, one of my teachers calls it, what floor you want to stop the elevator at? <laughs> yeah. Not every, she says, not everybody's on the same floor, and you have to know, you know, mm. which which floor you're going to get off at to be of most use to that person. Mm. So let's talk symbolically, metaphorically about this. Partly because I feel that you are at a loss as to how to help your friend. Yeah, I am at a loss. And that's a really, really difficult emotion. Mm. Wanting to help Mm. someone and just not knowing how to do that. So metaphorically she's taking hormones to make her belly swell and they are making her belly swell but she's not pregnant ah oh right and you support her but I don't think that you really get why she decided that hormones were the way to go. Hmm. Maybe she doesn't get it either. Hmm. And it's possible that what's going on is her body saying, I don't want to do this. Mm. And that you, as her friend, are picking up on that. Right. Right. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's so. I'm saying it's a possibility. Yeah. 
Yes. So I'm going to give you your question not so much answered as referred back to your friend. Mm. What does she need and want right now? Mm. Does she drink nourishing herbal infusions? Absolutely not. You could make her a quart of infusion and give it to her. I'd love to. You know, all the infusions are good for everybody at any time. And Yeah. And who knows, Mm. maybe you'll even start her on a, a lifelong habit of drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Do you drink infusions? Oh, I do, I do. I drink them every day. There you go. What an easy easy and loving thing to do for someone. Yeah, you're right. I think I was hesitant because she's so so rooted in the allopathic system. I I think I was hesitant to suggest herbs. Well, you know, there's really only two ways to heal. Allopathy and homeopathy. Allio means different. And homeo means the same. So in homeopathy, if somebody has an itchy rash, we give them poison ivy. Mm. Like there is like. Everything else is allopathy. Wow. Everything else. Because if it doesn't make sense to you to give somebody who has an itchy rash poison ivy, and it doesn't make sense to most people, then you're an allopath. Mm. You think that like doesn't cure like, but they're different. That if somebody has an itchy rash, you're going to give them something soothing. Hmm. And that's allopathy. It's not evil. It's the way most people think about healing is somebody has pain, give them a pain reliever. Somebody has inflammation, give them an inflammation reliever. She's holding too much water. What's the worst thing that could be happening to cause that? Especially a lot of fluid held in the belly is usually caused by the liver not working well. Mm. And what organ has to process out any hormones that aren't being actively used? The liver, of course. So stinging nettle can act as a initial diuretic, many people find when they start drinking stinging nettle, that they pee a lot. I think of it as a ringer, that stinging nettle rings the excess fluids from your mm. cells. And then, and then once it's part of your life, it doesn't continue, it doesn't act as a, a diuretic, which makes you pee whether you need to or not. So she might have that initial response if she's just holding fluid. But if it's the liver, 
she might benefit from something like dandelion, which is also considered a diuretic, to help move mm. fluid, and a liver ally. Ah, love dandelion. Right. And isn't it the season of dandelion? Oh, that's right. You could make her some dandelion flower fritters. Oh, that would be a treat. Uh, with applesauce. Oh, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I didn't mean to put you in a tricky situation. Well, you I... didn't. I had a very good time talking to you. Oh, and you. I really am moved by how much you care for your friends. Thank you. Thank you, Guru Weed. I do have one more question, if that's okay. Sure. It was just really about this general thing that I'm experiencing, which is inflammation. Um, I am just experiencing inflammation in different joints. Um, I don't fight against it. I say, hi, pain, that's okay. You're temporarily here with me, that's fine. I just wanted to ask you if you think I should add anything to my wise woman nourishing herbs cycle for the inflammation, or if I should just keep on drinking linden, oat straw, comfrey, nettle, and red clover. Linden and comfrey contain Mm. mucilages that are quite anti-inflammatory. In order to to get those, you need to re-brew those two herbs. Mm. Have you been been doing that? I have. I'm looking at a re-brew right now. Okay, good. Um, You might even want to take that re-brew and decoct it, just cook it down a little bit to make it even more mucilaginous Mm. and or... Uh, when I was most in need of something to really soothe um, inflammation, marshmallow root became a good friend of mine. Oh, yummy. Yeah. And I would make the first infusion with an ounce of marshmallow root in a quart jar and fill it with boiling water. And then after that, after I drank that, I would fill it with cold water and let it sit in the refrigerator and then drink that and sometimes I would even do it again depending on how much mucilage I was getting from a particular batch of marshmallow root. Mm. How wonderful. Okay, so I will keep... It more and more slippery the more you brew it with the cold water in the refrigerator. It's pretty interesting stuff. Wow. So re-brew the linden and the comfrey potentially three times, up to three times, do you think? No. No. If you want to add something, add marshmallow. Mm. And do the first infusion of marshmallow the regular way. And then after that, only use cold water and let it sit mm. in the refrigerator. No hot water. Mm. Okay. Get, a, get a lot of mucilage from the marshmallow root. Mm-hmm. That way. 
And with regards to the Lindian and the Comfrey, it's okay to read through yes. them yes. once? Yes. Just the once review is perfect, yeah. Got it. Okay. That's wonderful. I will just continue to do that and hope that this inflammation just goes away at some point. Well, and of course, I I would be negligent not to mention Comfrey, 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 since it's the herb of the month. (laughs) So if you have access to some fresh Comfrey, see how your joints in Comfrey want to get together. Do they want to get together as a poultice? Do they want to get together as a compress? Do you do you wanna they do they wanna be soaking together? See if you can um find a way for your joints and comfrey to enjoy each other for a while and see see what happens. Um with regards to the compress, how would I make that, do you know? Yes. I have written instructions for making comfrey compresses at the Comfrey Kitchen. And if you get the e-zine, there's a link to the Comfrey Kitchen. And if not, if you don't get the e-zine, go to wisewomanschool.com, sign up for the Comfrey Mm -hmm. Conference, and look for the Comfrey Kitchen, and there are good directions for making a compress. Amazing. I will do that. Thank you so much for your time. Green blessings. Take care. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we do not have anyone who has raised their hand at this time. I'll remind everyone listening if you have a question this evening, did you need to press one so that we see that you have your hand raised and we'll open your line to ask a question? Um, Let's see. Would you like uh, an email It always pleases me so much to know mm-hmm. that there's so few problems in the world. Let's mm-hmm. just take a moment and, and bask in no, nobody is calling with a problem. How precious, how wonderful. What a glorious moment. Because as we know, there are always problems. Mm. But it, but yeah. at least for this moment, there are none. Blessed be. Blessed be. Hmm. Oh, okay. Sometimes and, there are email that, questions. We, well, actually, we do have a hand raised with a question. Oh, so There um, you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll go to our caller. And you are calling in from the 610 area code. From the 610, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan and Sarah Ellen. Thank you for all that you do. Um, I was inspired to call in since uh, I have a kind of a problem. I don't know, a question anyway. Um, I live in a state uh, where I am able to be on medical cannabis, which I am, and I'm interested in tincturing uh, the flower. Um, what they call tinctures are um, some sort of oil-based product, but I... I was wondering if um, what your thoughts are about using hundred-proof vodka to tincture the herb as they sell it, which is fairly dried. I hear you. Um, you want to make your own tincture, and you don't have fresh plant material, so you want to make a tincture from dried plant material. 
my experience is that once it's dried, it doesn't move well into vodka. Okay. The vodka contains water, 50% alcohol, 50% water, 100 proof vodka. And the fresh flowers, the fresh buds, have both alcohol-soluble and water-soluble components. And the water-soluble components help get the alcohol-soluble ones out. Initially, people say, you just can't, you can't tincture it in 100-proof vodka because the water will stop it from tincturing. That's not what we found. We found that it actually makes a very good tincture. But once it's dried, there's very little of those water-soluble things left. Yep. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I, I don't want to waste. I agree with you. I've seen these so-called tinctures that are really oils, and I'm like, why are you doing this? So keep asking around. What I have found is that if I really want something and I keep asking, eventually I'll find it. Right. And hopefully, hopefully this my state will go the way the neighboring states have gone, and it won't be an issue, and I'll be able to grow my own. Yes, I was going to say, if it's already medical, surely they're going to let you grow it soon. I hope so. Yep. I hope so too. <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you so much, Susan. You, your your story of your recovery and and the way that you um, have stayed positive and have. Um, just express yourself around all that you're doing and your commitment to your healing has just been so inspirational so I just want to thank you for that you are welcome and I want to be very clear that I really give what people call negative emotions their due my um, pelvic floor physical therapist and I were laughing about the first session that I had with her where I basically just laid on the table and wept piteously. And I mean, really, just in a welter of self-pity. And I said to her, to her back then, I said, look what they've done to me. And she said, well, look what we're going to be able to do. That's what I mean. That's just wonderful. Thank you so much for You're all your inspiration. You're welcome. Dream Dream Good night. Happy spring. Good night. All right. And uh, remind everyone listening, if you have a question, you need to press 1 to line yourself up in the queue. We have one caller that has raised their hand, and you are dialed in from the 725 area code. From the 725, you are live with Susan. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. What's up tonight? Oh, nothing really much. I was just listening in. It's been a while uh, since I've listened and really uh, to, to your show for a while. So basically, was just calling in to just give my support and just say that I, I still love you, your show, and I've still been spreading the word about your wonderful, um, you know, uh, open to the public, um, you know, um, knowledge and everything. So um, just a quick call. I didn't even think I'd be answered since you're usually so busy, but just to hopefully grace you with my appreciation. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. It is often very busy. Perhaps everybody's still eating Easter candy. Oh, oh yes, exactly. Yes, um, yes. yes. It's been a very wonderful. Yes, I didn't get any Easter candy. I opened the freezer at my daughter's house and took a, a piece of my granddaughter's Halloween candy because oh. I really, I just wanted one piece of Easter candy, and so I got it. I got a, oh, a chocolate-covered caramel egg. Oh, wow, a chocolate-covered caramel egg. Wow. That yeah. Special. Yeah, I've been to the Dunedin factory in New Zealand where they make those. And uh, so, and they have all sorts of other flavors over there, too. You probably know from traveling over in, in Europe and stuff like that. But, yeah, New Zealand, I don't know how much you travel there. They have even more varieties of, of Cadbury bunny eggs. Wow. All right. <laughs> what fun. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. Uh, well, again, I just wanted to express my love to you, and um, so you're, you're doing very well, and I'm always praying for you and everything. So. Thank you. Thank you for your call. So appreciate you're it. You're very welcome. You know, yep, and I'm sure you're very busy, so I'll let you get back. Back to it. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. <laughs> I love you. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Green blessings. Her. All right. And let's see, I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question tonight, you need to press one and uh, get yourself put into the queue. And um, we have email questions if you'd like to go there or um, sure, let's share your email. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, all right. So Hi, I was listening to one of your older episodes and you mentioned path work. I looked it up and it does seem interesting and potentially useful for self-work. Will you please speak about path work and share your experience with it if you are willing? Thank you. What a fascinating question to receive. So when I was first involved with Pathwork. It was kind of a secret society. Um, You got invited by somebody who thought that you could benefit from the Pathwork, and they were your guide. And they worked with you, giving you guide lectures and talking to you about them and basically guiding you from lecture to lecture, which aren't in any particular order, but your guide knows which one you need. As a matter of fact, I was talking about one of the most important to me of the guide lecture today with a past apprentice um, who called. And the title of this particular guide lecture is the compulsion to recreate and overcome childhood hurts. We all, I think, can see that we do this. We very wisely choose people to be very close with where we can recreate our childhood trauma so we can win. But we don't. 
removes. Because you can't ever win. You will always lose. And if you don't figure out that it's a compulsion to recreate and overcome, then you will do it again. And many people use it as a entry point to a cycle of blame and shame. If not the first time, certainly the second time. You can probably give yourself off on the first time, but by the time you've done it again, now you're really shaming and blaming yourself. And if we continue to be motivated by the compulsion to recreate and overcome childhood hurts, then we will do it again and again and again throughout our entire lives. And I told her that the only way out is to admit total defeat. We simply cannot win what happened in childhood. It's in the past. But we can nurture that child. We can take care of that child. And when we give up on winning, then we have a lot of energy to take care of that child. That lecture is in the book, The Pathwork of Self-Transformation by Eva Parakas, The Compulsion to Recreate and Overcome Childhood Hurts. I don't consider myself a pathwork guide, but I have suggested that lecture to hundreds people, all of whom have told me that if they follow that advice, that it really works. But you have to, you have to give up. You have to give up the compulsion to win and to recreate those scenes over and over and find the place in you that's just willing to let it be different. Now this conversation with Pastor Brenda started with her telling me about how this intimate person in her life had done terrible things. And you could probably already guess. The first thing I said to her was, okay, we need to reframe all this victim terminology. This person didn't do terrible things to you, poor little victim. You decided, perhaps not consciously, but certainly unconsciously, you decided that you were strong enough now to recreate this childhood hurt and to overcome it this time. I said, once again, you failed, because you will always fail. No one 
ever wins. The only win is to step off of the merry-go-round of the compulsion. So that was, that already got the conversation off to a, a very different place, and I thank the pathwork for that because the reason that the pathwork was held as a secret is that the pathwork does not tolerate one iota of victimhood. You are a conscious entity who may make unconscious choices, but you made that choice. And the only way to make that compulsion, that unconscious choice conscious, is to be responsible for it, to take responsibility for it. Instead of saying, something terrible happened to me, this person did something terrible to me, victim, victim, we step into the place of saying, this is something that I am doing in my life. Not that I can change it, not that, I can, not that I'm bad for it. And you see how easy it is to blame the victim here. And that's why it was kept so close and so secret. And why people were invited when they... When, a guy, when somebody that you knew was a guy, they saw that you were willing to give up being the victim, then they invited you. After I had been doing Pathwork for about 15 years, the first of the books, The Pathwork of Self-Transformation, I think was the first one, um, was published because it was believed at that time that enough people had gotten it that it would not be used to blame any victim, but to understand that there aren't victims. Which can still be very, very difficult for people to hear. Eva Paracas was the wife of John Paracas. And John Paracas, very notably, uh, did work with bioenergetics and with connecting um, what was called then body-mind. And he was influenced in this by the work of Wilhelm Reich. And it is interesting to me how many of the things that I pursue, if I start looking back, where does it come from and where does that come from and where does that come from, come from a few people who made a lasting impression on a lot of people. So I hope that that satisfies at least some of your curiosity about the Pathwork. There was a functioning Pathwork Center down south somewhere. Um, Seven Oaks, I think it was called. It might still be in existence. I don't know. There was a Pathwork Center here in New York at um, in Phoenicia at the Pathwork Center. And that was so successful that they decided to get bigger. And that was so successful that they decided to get bigger. And then they went bankrupt. What a drag. Oh, well, thank you, Schumacher for your book, Small is Beautiful, and for um, telling me in a really critical time in my life that Small is Beautiful. I've always uh, 
taken that really to heart, and I've seen quite a lot around me of places getting successful and bigger and successful and bigger, and then, boom, they're not there. Have you seen that, Sarah Hetland? I do, yeah. Yeah, there is something about small and intimate, and, yeah, really put your heart in it. Yeah. They just stay small. Stay small, and mm-hmm. people say, oh, well, you can reach a wider audience. I'm like, no, it's okay, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want I don't want bigger. Mm. Bigger carries there's a whole lot of other things that that I'm not so necessarily interested in, thank you. Mm-hmm. I want time with my daughter, time with my granddaughter, time with my guts. Yes, thank you. What I've done though to get to that bigger audience is trained so many people. I was really basking in that. The other day and thinking about, you know, altogether, I would say it's over 500 apprentices who are out there teaching, writing, training other apprentices. It's just such a a great, you know, wonderful wave of wise woman ways in people's medicines. just made me smile. Oh, for sure. Exponential. Exponential. I love it. <laughs> Did you say there was another email question? Um, we we do have two more email questions. We also have a caller that has raised their hand. Okay. Oh, here's um, a letter from okay. Pat. Oh, here's a letter from Rosemary. Oh, what fun mail this week. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, is there something you want to share, or would you like to? Oh, no, out? I haven't even opened them. I'm just looking at them. I pick up the mail on Tuesday, and I'm just sorting the treasures from the trash. All right. All well, right. then we'll, we'll go to the caller from the 727 area code. Um, from the 727, hey. you are with Susan. Hello, Susan. How are you? I am well, and you? Very good. This is also Susan. We've spoken before a couple of times on some personal mentorships, and you've given me some wonderful guidance. And I don't know if you remember me with my extreme hypertension that I that I have, but I've Everything's going very well and managing things quite nicely. Um, and I also want to thank you for your recommendation to uh, Catskill Mountain Herbs. I love their products. And, uh, Yay, white feather. Yeah, they're great. I love how she packages things in little pieces of newspaper. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, um, anyway, I have a quick question for you. I've had... Um, on Thursday, I started this very strange rash behind both of my ears, and I assumed it was from some new product maybe that I had used, or I was just grasping at what it could be. And over the weekend up until today, it continually got worse and worse. It's oddly behind both ears, um, on the bone between the hairline and my ear and behind the ear, hot, hot, hot red, burning, itching, scaling, and um, I've been taking echinacea, and I just started to have some fennel extract today. I feel a little a little bit better, but um, it's quite odd, like throbbing, pulsing. And I was wondering if you have any idea, possibly, of what it could be or yeah. what it could take to calm it yeah, down. Yeah, it sounds you. a lot like poison ivy. And it sounds like my ears? You, yeah, it sounds like you put on a hat. That I put on, a, I'm sorry, what? That you put on a hat and that there was a poison ivy urushiol on the band of the hat. I didn't put on a hat. 
though. Mm-mm. No. Um, no. And I don't, I don't have well, a point of either. Your... Trying to think of what well, would, you know. Poison well, right. ivy, so Urushiol and poison ivy is active 365 days a year. Huh. I, and people I mean, get the my... worst cases of poison ivy now because they're outside and they're active and the poison ivy leaves out late. And so they're like doing stuff with it they wouldn't do if they could recognize it. Huh. So, and especially the way it's come on and gotten, you know, worse, but stayed limited to those places. In other words, it's not like some creeping crud here. No, it has stayed limited to behind behind the ear. Stayed right there. And That's poison ivy. On both ear, on the back Starts of both ears. Starts out kind of itchy, and then it gets like I'm going to tear my skin off, itchy, and especially at night. Yes, at night, and it's flaking, actually. Mm-hmm. It's poison ivy. It'll be gone in 10 days to two weeks. You can take it genesia, but it's not going to do much. Echinacea's not going to do much. What? what no. So, Which hazel? Aloe? Calamine lotion? Something to soothe it. Okay. Okay, but not aloe. I put aloe on it. It actually stung. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. You just scrape <laughs> the inner part of the aloe out and use that. No, I actually bought ninety-nine percent aloe gel at my health food store, and I don't have well, an aloe plant. I also it wasn't the aloe that wasn't the aloe that stung. It was the preservative. I got you. I probably so right. And the same thing with the calendula cream that I that I have. It's not a hundred percent calendula, so that didn't seem to work either. Okay, well then, I will get some of the um, calamine, and I will try that. So that you sounded pretty positive. I <laughs> you think that's what it is, so I trust you. <laughs> I was okay, ready to run to the doctor tomorrow. It is. It is a little worse at night. Um, I mean, worse not at night. Like, yeah. Well, when I'm sleeping. Late at night, while you're sleeping for the night, it comes a creeping all around, around. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that song? <laughs> I, no, I don't, but it sounds, sounds very Mumps funny. <laughs> Mumps will get you grumpy and chicken pox is lumpy, but poison ivy, Lord, will make you itch. You're going to need a notion to do, 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 alamine lotion, do, 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 do. You be scratching like a hound, do, do, do. When poison ivy comes around, poison ivy. Actually, poison hemlock. I pulled a bunch of that out of my garden. Does it make you itch? It doesn't make you itch. Okay. All right. That's fine. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with that then. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green Thanks, blessings. <laughs> All right. And uh, let's see. Would you? Let's see, we don't have another caller who has raised their hand. Uh, would you like to hear one of the email questions that we have? Yeah. All right. Um, 
Hi, Susan. Do you have any advice for growing healthy hair? For as long as I can remember, my hair has been thin and brittle. Now that I'm in my early 30s, it seems even thinner and less willing to grow. I don't want to get to the point where I see my scalp, and I worry that I'm headed that way. Please help. I have started drinking infusions, but wonder if there is anything else that may help. Oh, well, I remember Justine, uh, when she was a teenager, walking in one day, tossing her hair and saying, what do you think? And she had actually made some kind of nettle hair tonic, clean book, or hair gel or something. There's a, a, here's some hair recipes in there. Nettle is considered such an herb for healthy hair when taken internally and, of course, can be used externally as well, interestingly enough. The other herb that has strong association with really healthy hair and scalp is rosemary. And there used to be just a fabulous rosemary shampoo, this Italian rosemary shampoo that was really just like water-based rosemary stuff. And then, of course, they had to start adding preservatives, and then they were people were, like, unhappy with that. So they took out the preservatives and put it in essential oils, and it was like, eh, you know, I can do a little bit of preservative, uh, but not essential oils. But you can make your own rosemary infusion, ounce of rosemary, a quart jar, fill it to the top of boiling water, let it steep overnight, it'll get almost black. Put it in a plastic bottle and put it in the shower, and then you can rub it into your hair and scalp. Now, I'm just going to go over this just on the off chance that you don't know that your hair grows from your scalp and that your hair grows from hair follicles in your scalp. And those hair follicles really appreciate attention. And that when you are experiencing thinning or falling hair, that doing a scalp massage is a really good idea. So you can stand in the shower with the hot water beating on you, oh, the luxury of modern-day life, and step slightly out of it and still run down your back, right? And put some of that rosemary infusion on your hair and scalp, and then just stand there and sing some song or something and massage your scalp. Massage the rosemary into it. Massage, massage, massage. And um, I think that between drinking nettle and dumping rosemary on your head and massaging your scalp, you will see some hair growth. Remember that it takes a while for that to happen. And similarly, that despite the stories of people doing, turning white overnight, um, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks for a hair follicle to like kind of do its thing, and some of them are always in resting phase at any particular time. So when we're working with the hair, it's not instant results. And the woman came to me and said, she said, you know, I have cancer, and this cancer is killing me. It's pretty clear to me that the cancer is killing me, but my children don't want to think that, so they've really encouraged me to do chemotherapy and I don't really want to do the chemotherapy but it doesn't really matter one way or the other because the cancer is going to kill me so you know, why not if it makes them happy she said but 
you know, I'm just so vain. I, I don't want to lose my hair. I said, well, why don't you try and see what happens if you do the chemotherapy and really, like, really drink stinging nettle infusion, drink at least a cup a day. And, you know, I several times during the week drink a whole quart during the day. And um, she actually got in touch with me a couple of months later. And I think that she was coming to the end of her chemotherapy. And she told me that she was very, very happy and that the nettle had, in fact, helped her to retain her hair through the chemotherapy. And the doctors were, um, as always, quite amazed at the level of minerals in her blood. It's one of the things that chemotherapy uh, does is plays havoc with some of the minerals in your body. And the infusions seem to really uh, allay that and to keep your mineral rich. Whatever happens. So great blessings to you and your hair. I have to say I love nettle. I, I make a hair like rinse um, that I do leave in to hair. And I have curly hair and it really the curls love it too. So You make a nettle what? Um, I make a nettle, essentially just like a nettle infusion, and I put it in a spray bottle and put it in the fridge. Um, I'll use it for maybe like five or six days, so I don't make a whole infusion. I'll make like a half for that length of time, and I'll spray it in my hair. Um, and it it just, I don't know, I guess it's all the protein, as I always assumed, but the curls, my curls love it, and it, it seems to help my hair want to have that curl pattern in it, and it keeps it nice and shiny. Oh. Yay, nettle. <laughs> yeah. How easy. Nettle infusion, spray bottle in the bathroom. Don't take too much. Because, don't make too much because, as we know, it goes off rapidly. Yep, yep. It's, but it's it's so easy. And it smells really good in your hair, in my hair. So it's, oh, it's nice. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I so don't I want to know... Is our guest here? See her dialed in yet. Um, got about three minutes before she's officially due. Um, we have another email question. It, it might be a well, I was going to say, let's go to that last email question. Okay. Uh, here we go. Hi, Susan. I love you, and I am so grateful for all you give. My question is about my family. It saddens me that no matter how excited or how much I enjoy learning uh, herbs and being with the plants. I cannot get my 12 and 14-year-olds to get involved with me, and I thought they would be curious enough to at least try some of the remedies I make. But even getting them to try a tincture instead of a cough syrup is difficult. Any suggestions for getting my girls interested in herbs? Additionally, my 14-year-old's new friend is a vegetarian, and now my daughter is starting to be picky around eating meat. How do I prevent her from being influenced to destroy her diet? I appreciate your wisdom. Green blessings. Uh, you may not like my my answer. This this little cutie out there. But cough syrup. Who bought the cough syrup? Oh, you bought the cough syrup. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. We're talking twelve and fourteen years old. We're going to assume 
that what they have access to you have paid for. You don't want them to use cough syrup, so you don't buy it. And then if they have a cough, they have to use the stuff you've made, or they don't get a remedy. Hmm. As I said, you may not like my answer because it's kind of tough. And I am kind of tough that way, and it was certainly part of my upbringing and, you know, not violence or threats, but just tough, just clear and tough. My family rule was you got to eat what was served at that meal, and you had to take at least one bite of every single thing, or you did not get the next meal. Tough. Tough. I find that many modern parents let their children dictate to them. My goodness. How sad for the child to have all that responsibility, to have to tell the adults what to do. Let's be adults. We do not have to be nasty. We do not have to be threatening. We do not have to be bullying. But we can be firm, clear, consistent, and have rules that have to be followed. That said, it is, so far as I know well-known fact that the people outside the household actually have far more influence on your child's character development than you do. So give it up. All right? They'll eventually, as they get older, come back around to the values they were brought up with. But depending on the individual child, there may be a very major and large swing against or away from those things. So if you eat healthy, your child may decide to exist totally on french fries. Um, If you are unconcerned about clothing, your child may decide to go to couture school. I love the song, Why Did the Kids Put Jam on the Cat? Why would the kids do something like that? They did it because we said no. That's from the Fantastics. And so always remember that we can't control anybody else. My golly gosh, how many people can even control themselves? And that said, do we have Heather Green with us? We do. Heather Green from Atlanta, Georgia, is a freelance writer, journalist, and editor. She received her Bachelor's of Arts in Film at Wesleyan University and her Master of Arts in Film Studies at Emory University. She also studied film and theater at Cornell and the University of Paris. Heather has written for Religious News Service, Turner Classic Movies, The Wild Hunt, Circle Magazine, Pathios.com, and other outlets. She is a member of Circle Sanctuary, Covenant of the Goddess, and the Religious News Writers Association. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. 
I promised everybody that you would tell us about the most popular witch archetypes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, the most popular witch archetypes that we talk about generally would, of course, be the crone. Um, that is the one that is probably the most familiar. That's the Hansel and Gretel, Witch in the Woods, the Baba Yaga, the old lady that's, um, you know, living in a small cottage, practicing herbalism, and living on her own in the middle of, you know, a wooded area or by herself. That's the crone. That's she does. She's evil sometimes. She's good sometimes. She's both at other times. Um, quirky, funny, scary, all the things. So that's the most popular and most well-known version. And I always, when I talk about this archetype with people, I always mention that she usually has a very large nose and a very large chin. That's very true. Um, that is an exaggeration, um, probably originated in old paintings of witches, which you can see it in like Goya paintings and other depictions that are pretty old, um, where the witch, um, she's a witch, so she has to be demonized and seem to be not natural, inhuman in a way. So they elongate the chin, they elongate the nose, and that's particularly apparent in, in a movie like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, they did it to the Wicked Witch of the West, even though she's kind of a crone, not really, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's very, very common. I talk about that in my book um, on how that's a way they dehumanize the witch, the, especially the elderly witch. However, it's actually true. <laughs> because the part of our bodies that keeps growing all of our lives is our cartilage. And so I, you, may have, you may be old enough to have noticed that your nose is bigger. And the older you get, the bigger your nose is going to get, and the bigger your chin is going to get, and the bigger your ears are going to get. So these depictions of these old women with tremendous chins and noses, sometimes being verbally described as meeting, they're so big, are indicating to us that these women are 120, 130, 140 years old. Yes, they they're supposed to be they're supposed to be very old and um yeah and that's where you know every kind of exaggeration and character came from somewhere um came some from some reality you know they didn't choose to exaggerate the chin I mean the um the cheeks or the forehead they did those parts of the body which were as in their eyes like you said bigger already from old age or exaggerated in some way um, right but they just exaggerate them further. To make them a character. Much, into a caricature. Way bigger. <laughs> right, way, way bigger. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so um, the, the first archetype is the ugly witch, the old witch, the scary witch. But there's also the good witch, isn't there? Um, yeah, there's good witches. Um, they come in different forms. And, you know, we have the, the usually depicted as some kind of a fairy-like creature, ballet, dancer, ball, ballerina. Um, they have that kind of aesthetic. They have this very soft, cloud-like aesthetic like you see in The Wicked Witch of the West. Um, you see, I mean, sorry, Glinda from The Wizard of Oz. And you see that in the earlier version. She kind of floats down from the clouds and looks kind of like fairy-like. Um, they also sometimes um, are just very it, seen as very um, pretty 
and um, comfortable, so like uh, Samantha from Bewitched or Sabrina. They're sort of the person you recognize as someone that could live next door. So they're very comfortable and normal, what we would call normal, or they're seen as kind of like a, a fairy or um, a princess or an angel. Yes. Yes, that, that, the, the current belief in angst benevolent has always kind of uh, made me very curious. Since I only know Old Testament angels who are the enforcers, right? They like destroy right. Sodom and Gomorrah and smite people. So I'm like, <laughs> whoa, who are you talking to? Are these angels like, well, I wouldn't mess with them. <laughs> no, not that kind of angel. They've been this, Walt this, Disney, <laughs> like the fairies have too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you that yeah. there's that same thing with the good witch, both the fairy and the angel kind of thing, but in the more Disney version of them, because in their in their archetypal versions, both the angel and the fairy, they are they are forces to be reckoned with. That's true. They're they're not the diminutized fairy tale versions that we've seen from Victor, uh, Victoria Victorian times and of Disney, of course, is a totally different thing. So yeah, the 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 good witch is is very much that that other that other form, this new form that's she um, like Linda. You think of her; she floats down on a cloud in a big pink dress. She's like cotton candy from the cloud. She's like an angel, or um, you know. Uh, <laughs> She's meant to be soft and inviting, you know. <laughs> right, cotton candy, how perfect, yes. <laughs> uh, so beyond Bad Witch and Good Witch and um, the obvious kinds of things, are there other archetypes of the witch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, in my book, I break it down into different ways because I don't. I use the. I talk about the main archetypes, but then I also talk about them the way Hollywood has done them. And one of the other most famous or most common archetypes, I should say, is what I call the vamp witch. And she is, she is typically evil and very evil. She, she's going to be the one who's more likely to be the satanic witch. Is where you see her the most in in. In that type of horror, she is usually, um, if we were to age her, she might be anywhere from 20 to 50, let's say, if we're just to kind of roughly age her. She is um, a mature woman who is usually depicted as strikingly beautiful. Um, She's often depicted as desirable to the men in the film. Um, So you think of someone like... um, what's a movie that we're going to see someone in? Well, a good version of her would be Morticia. Um, you would also see uh, her. Yes. In okay. the, yes. <laughs> yes. So she's a perfect character, but she's a good version of her because that that TV show kind of broke some barriers. But you see her also in the beginning of Bell, Book, and Candle. Um, the main character, Jillian, plays the vamp in the beginning, and then she converts. Um, the beginning of I Married a Witch, another older film, that also that character is the vamp witch in a comedy until she switches over to become good. Um, and she loses her power is no longer a witch, but that's another story. Um, and you see them in horror films and you see them in uh, the horror film witchcraft from 1988 uh, or witchcraft, um, not witchcraft, witchcraft, the temptress 
Um, there is sort of the seductress that you that you so <laughs> that you've heard about, which is would can be, you know, and they're most likely to be in. Like I said, horror is a big place for them. Yes, it seems that the popular imagination likes to combine the words sex and magic. Yes, and and it's da- both are considered dangerous, especially when related to women's power. And that's one of the, you know, the threads in my book is the connection of witchcraft to a woman's body and her sexuality and her command of all of that. And so you have that when the woman is in command of her sexuality and her desirability, she's dangerous to the powers that be. Melisandre from um, Game of Thrones is another great example of a vamp witch um, who is not evil necessarily. depends on how you look at it. Um, So, Yeah that she's a very uh, prominent archetype within Hollywood. And very important for us to understand what the subtext there is. Yes, it is, because there is some there is underlying messages to women that has changed over time, and um, you can see that, uh, whereas the vamp witch in Bell Book and um, camera, I'm sorry, that was not Bell Book and Camera, Bell Book and Candle, um, she is the vamp witch only until she realizes she's in love, and the only way she can be in love is to give up that position, to give up her desire, her, her, her command of her desirability, to give up her magic, you know, allegoric earth power, and to get married. It's, she can't have love and witchcraft power and a sexuality uh, command of her sexuality all at the same time. So there's a message for women that has come through in all these depictions of witches. And um, and that flows until today, and Melisandre is very different. Melisandre is in command of all that. She knows how to use it all, and she doesn't have to give it up. So the times have changed in the depiction of witches. That's reassuring. It is, isn't it? <laughs> yes, all right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that, although I really know precious little about movies, but it seems to me that that has also changed, that in the older movies, that the bad always had to suffer and the good always had to be redeemed, and that that's not so true in modern movies. Um, no, it's not. You're absolutely true, and that that goes without that's that's beyond witchcraft films. I mean, we had in the in the uh, golden era, there was a very distinct code that that dis- instructed these kind of things that that was the c- codified morality, and it said films had to end this way, films had to be like this. You could not have. There's actually a language that says American film could not ha- evil could not be perceived as as desirable or portrayed as desirable um the evil had to be vanquished um and there was other things as well in the code so these that's that's where all of that came from so all of our older films good always wins bad always um bad always dies let's say for example um like you said bad is jailed good wins is the hero now it's not so much the case, and, and it's slowly changed over time. And um, really in the 1960s and the removal of the code um, was the first step towards doing that. And you think of Rosemary's Baby, which, which is one of the first witchcraft films made without the code. Um, the witches don't die at the end of that. 
good oh, you're right. does not win. Good winds up being sucked into the coven to take care of her baby, this devil baby, and the coven of evil witches, satanic witches, just sits around and watches and the movie ends. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's true. And so it's been happening slowly, um, especially during times when our culture is sort of in a, a social upheaval. We're experiencing stress. We see a lot of these discussions. And right now it's happening. We see a lot of movies where we're seeing backstories to evil characters so we understand what they did, even if we don't agree with them, we understand why they did it. Kind of like the Joker, Maleficent. Right. And yeah. So we're seeing sort of right. discussion. Maybe what we thought was wrong is, was actually right. So we're seeing these sort of reexamination of all this stuff happening now. So you're seeing it as well. Well, I'm glad it wasn't just that I choose those kinds of movies. <laughs> no, no, it's no. coming. It's happening across the across the board, really. So, you know, when news people ask me, well, tell me, what's a witch? I always say to them, it's kind of like asking somebody what's a Christian. <laughs> Because there's you, Baptists and Presbyterians and uh, you know, there's Methodists and there's, gee, I grew up in Texas, there were Holy Rollers and Snake Handlers and they were all Christians. So you've got, you know, there's like a vast gulf between the Methodists and the Snake Handlers there. Yes. And that's the same with witches. And that's the same with witches. But all of those Christians would agree that there's Christ. That's what Christian is, right? That they agree that there's Christ. And all witches would agree that whatever you put out comes back to you threefold. Uh, not all of them. Uh, that is a Wiccan, um, that is a particularly Wiccan um, uh, term or, or belief. Um, Mm -hmm. they, most witches that I know across the board, and I will never say all because witches are uh, uniquely creative and uh, diverse, diverse bunch, but the, the concept of, of, um, being responsible for your actions, which is what that actually means being, knowing that what you put out, um, could come back in some form or, just personal responsibility um, on what you do. Um, be careful what you wish for, all that kind of stuff. Generally speaking, most witches that I know do abide by that, do understand that concept because it's an energy-based thing. Um, so even if they don't abide by what you said, which is called the threefold law, which is Wiccan, um, they have some form of understanding and belief in, in the same concept. It's, 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 you know, it's pretty much, you know, if you put some, if you do something, you're, you're going to have to suffer the consequences, good or bad. That concept does pervade, is pervasive in which, in witchcraft, generally speaking, in some form, the threefold law, which you're talking about, things will come yeah. back three times. Is Not wicked. necessarily, but the idea yeah, of responsibility it's, it's is there. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I, and I bring this up with people. Um, when they start to say, well, you know, witches could, like, do this or do that, 
And I say, only people who aren't witches would do those kinds of things. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that there are, um, you know, there are bad people and, and, and ethically, uh, morally uh, poor people in all religions and all walks of life. So, you know, we can't be sure. But generally speaking, it's, it's a fallacy to say and people believe that witches are, are just bad or, or don't have ethics or don't have morals or don't have a sense of right and wrong. And that's absolutely incorrect. So whether it's the threefold law or some other version of it, um, witches very much have their own sense of, you know, morality. Um, they have, there are ethical rules that they abide by. Uh, they might be slightly different from practice to practice and tradition to tradition, but witches aren't walking around hurting people. Um, you know, willy nilly. <laughs> that's just not how. That's not. That's not. No more than any other group um, of no, people on the earth. Well, it was interesting to, to me that so much of um, what we think of as a witch comes from the people who were burning them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the uh, much and, of much of. Go ahead. Sorry. And and so we had this kind of peculiar set of of things, some of which are conscious and some of which are kind of subconscious, right? The witch causes the male to fly through the night and impregnate unwary maidens. Yeah, that's that's some old lore there. <laughs> that is some um, very old lore from the Malayas, right? Yeah, and yeah, um and if most people were asked, they would say, what? And yet somehow it's like subconscious in them, this belief, which I think has to do with that, like, you know, the witch as the vamp. Yeah, that she's that, going to somehow is, make his member come unmoored and fly through the night. Much of the vamp witch in Hollywood takes its cues from the Malleus and Maleficarum, and, and they... um you know, it's, it is that, that stuff. It's, it's all of what you're talking about. But what's interesting is that when, when, when Hollywood began in the 1900s, early, in the early 1900s, much of this stuff was not really believed in. Much of the stuff in American population, people thought that this, this was a joke. Anyone believed in magic or believed in witch hunting or believed in stuff, even from the Malice Malice Karm, most of society was like, that's, that's all fairy tale stuff. This, none of this exists. Um, so, so Hollywood didn't really even per, per, portray witches that way until the 1960s. So it's really kind of interesting that a lot of that kind of fell by the wayside and then came back, um, and has you know been very like you said it's 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 very much stuck in our Western culture and um, so it was kind of resurrected almost in a way because um, it was there to begin with. It just was not commonly found in the early part of the 1900s. Was was there a particular reason it was resurrected? Did it turn out to be a big money maker? Uh, yeah, I mean, sex sells. So um, you know, when you had the when you had the um, the code went away, and they could actually start um, oh, portraying my. evil as desirable and as as evil as something um, that people might want. And they can start portraying also religion as possibly bad, which was restricted. You could not do that before. Um, you could start having horror films. You can start having evil um, priests who are conjuring devils. You can start having vamp witches 
and true. Um, so I like to say when I do my history of witch films, I like to say in 1969 when the um, censorship code was removed from Hollywood, all hell broke loose. And I mean that quite literally, because after literally, that, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you mean that literally. <laughs> I mean that quite literally, because we had a rash of some of, of horror films for the first time using vamp witches and witchcraft and satanic witchcraft and coven-based witchcraft. It was all Rosemary's Baby. And, you know, so you really had, for the first time, Hellbreak was on the screen. <laughs> and you think about it, that was when The Omen came out and the... Um, and a host of other non-witchcraft, satanic-based evil films, and that was that was why. Um, and it was yes, and it sold. It sold tickets. It was witchcraft. It was you know rock music, witchcraft, um, Sex. sexuality. Yeah, all of it. it was all wrapped up in there, and it was magic. And oh my goodness, and people were buying tickets. People were buying tickets, and still are. Yep, yep, it's true. Well, what haven't we talked about that you want to talk about? Oh, my goodness. Um, There's so much to talk about when we talk about witchcraft and witchcraft in movies. Um, So let me think. Did you know, I know that you are, uh, you know, love the herbalism. And um, in the early days of uh, witchcraft um, portrayals, um, a lot of the witches were not evil at all, but they were what I called accused women, accused witches. They were women who were practicing herbalism. And this was considered evil in these films. So they were accused witchcraft by the society. These were kind of Salem, Salem-esque films. So a lot of the early witches, these accused women from the silent era, were actually simply herbalists that lived in the woods or lived in the town even practicing healing people, um, working with nature. They weren't witches at all. But so a lot of the early witches that Hollywood had in its um, canon of films were were herbalists. Were they identified as witches or as herbalists in the films? They were both. What happened was they were they were identified as herbalists or healers of some sort, you know, that practiced this. And then um, in the film, some. Something happens where the characters, some usually a male figure that's in charge, accuses the woman of being a witch. And then in some cases, she is hanged. In other cases, she eventually I, I, she gives it up and, and moves on and, and gives up her herbalism to live normally. So, yeah, so it's different. And depending on who the character wow. is, one woman refused to give it up. One woman refused. She was a younger woman, refused to give it up. Um, she had been taught herbalism by, I believe, a, um, a Native American woman, refuses to give it up, says, no, I'm going to keep being an herbalist and living over here. And so she was hung. Um, other <gasps> women give it up. And then um, some of them are, the older women usually are left alone, although one, um, she was a healer for the town um, using herbs rather than the you know, regular doctor rules. And she... Um, and she is hung too. But what's interesting about that is that that's prevalent in the early silent era. And then it completely goes away. Um, and it isn't again until the late, seven, late 70s and early 80s where you see films starting to connect that again. You start to see um, Hollywood connecting witchcraft with natural healing, 
with herbalism, with, um, you know, just basic use of the land in a natural way and all these kind of things. And so you see that with a movie like um, Resurrection, which is actually won awards. It's a fantastic film. Uh, there is a TV show called BJ and the Bear back in the 80s, and the woman is an herbalist, and she says, I'm a witch. I practice the old religion, and all I do is herbally heal. You, then you see that a lot then, which is which came out of the movements of the 60s and 70s, you know, the connection, the environmental movement, all the, all the good stuff that came out of that. So you don't see it again until there. And then a little bit going forward. Absolutely fascinating. Just to circle back around to Disney, however, um, I don't want to leave people with the impression that I'm in any way anti-Disney because, in fact, I think Disney does a tremendous job of portraying witches. They have, they have some of the most recognizable portrayals of witches, and they've done a lot of different things with them over the past 20 years, which has changed their stereotype, which is really interesting. You went from the, the stereotypes of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to Frozen. Right. So very different. Very different. Very different. And to, to me, over the whole span of my lifetime with Disney, uh, Disney has said more and more to me, be a powerful woman, be a powerful woman. I had, we had this one kind of funny thing where we were here doing a workshop with Zhuzhana Budapest, and she was asking um, people, asking the women here um, about their associations with witches. And we were just kind of going around the circle and people just throwing out words, kind of in the way that you and I started, but much rawer. And then I left the whole group of Zhuzhana and went out with my daughter and granddaughter to see the Little Mermaid. Mm. And that is one of the most amazing witches that Disney has ever done. And every single word that every single person had said in that circle was right there. <laughs> yes, she is. Ursula is a fantastic character. Um, she's very much stuck in uh, the the way that Disney did older witches. She's a modern version of Disney's older witches. She fits that bill. Um, but she's very unique because she's way more powerful in her own self. And she, and I always talk, when I talk about her, I, I, I have to discuss male witches, but um, just in short is that she is one of the few witches, female witches that Hollywood has made that actually is looking to take over power of everything. That's not just seeking for some seeking for herself. And that's a very different thing. And a lot of the cases where we have these witches that we know are evil we know they're bad. We know they're evil. We wouldn't do the things they do, but, oh, man, are they great to watch because they're powerful in and of themselves, and that is nice to see on the screen for a female character. And so you wind up with a subversive reading where women can connect to this female character that's so amazing, even if she happens to be bad <laughs> and not kill people. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a unique it relates and that's to great. She just has the world's best cauldron, too. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She is totally amazing. And we don't have time to, to get into that, but that also, to me, is really fascinating. The kinds of tools that witches are shown with. Mm -hmm. We'll have to have you back again because we're, like, really severely limited. They, like, cut us off at 930. So... 
I want to ask you my last question always, and that is, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight, Heather? Um, I would say open up yourself to magic. Um, Open up yourself to movie watching and relax. Enjoy yourself and open up yourself to a world of uh, magical witches on the screen, and it could be very empowering. All right. I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and we have brought some wonderful glittery, green, glowing threads into our weaving tonight with Heather Green. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, and everyone else for restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And, hey, make those comfrey shorts. We want to hear from you, too. Cream blessings and good night, everybody. <laughs>